as is fairly typical for most of the sermons by request I received uh, this summer, uh, they usually uh, concern a specific subject or, or question that people want answered. But I also get a, a few uh, from people who want to hear a message on a particular verse or, or passage or sometimes even uh, an entire book. Um, such as the case today as far as a specific passage, uh, the person wrote, I've always wanted to hear a sermon about Psalm 23. Um, I've never seen any statistics or uh, opinion polls, but I would guess that Psalm 23 is probably the most widely known passage in all of the Old Testament. And and we were with Patty and Fernando last night, and we were trying to remember if I had ever preached on Psalm 23 before. I, I just can't, can't remember it, which kind of shocks me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we get to do it today. You know, it's, it's, it's so well known. It's kind of like the song Amazing Grace. Uh, you know, even people who have uh, never been to church uh, seem to know that song or at least be familiar with it. And in the same way, I would guess that many, many people who have never actually darkened the door of a church might be familiar with, at least in passing, with, with Psalm 23. You know, they've heard it on TV or in a movie uh, before for different scenes, or they've seen it on posters or paintings or all this kind of stuff. It's, it's so popular, it's all over the place. But, of course, being familiar with it and knowing what it really means for us as God's children, well, that's two different things. So we're going to take a look at that today. I hope uh, if you haven't done so, grab your Bible and open up to Psalm uh, 23. Uh, This psalm is so packed full of meaning that we could easily have made it a multi-week series and and really dug in deep that way. But instead, I decided we're just going to do a broad brush overview stroke uh, in in one Sunday here looking at the whole psalm. So um, hopefully you have it in your Bible in front of you. We're going to do something different for the Bible reading this morning. Maybe some of you have done this in church before. It's called a responsive reading. That's where I would read one verse and then you as a congregation read the second verse out loud and then I read a verse and you know, so forth and so on. So we're going to do that this morning. But I also know that uh, since uh, there's multiple um, use of various versions of the Bible and that can get confusion as people are reading out loud. We're going to have the verses for you up on the overhead. So we're all reading from the same version for this particular thing, which is my version uh, that I like to use, uh, New American Standards. So uh, if you're familiar with Psalm 23 uh, out of a different one, you'll, you'll get used to it. But we're going to go ahead and start. Let's, uh, there we go. There We'll get started here. So The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Father God, we thank you for this beautiful psalm that you have given us in your word. We thank you for the truth the meaning, the impact of it. 
not just as something to admire or even something that makes us feel good, but as something that impacts our lives. So God, we pray your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning as we look at this psalm. May he be free to work in our hearts and lives according to your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there's very few of us in this room who would have any personal experience caring for a flock of sheep, right? Uh, I don't know, there might, might be some here. Uh, we might, the most of us, have a general picture in our mind uh, of kind of what that might look like in our day, but for the most part, I'm guessing none of us here have actually made a career out of shepherding. Uh, therefore, uh, a lot of what King David, and David is the author of this psalm, has to say uh, in this psalm, it, it kind of loses its emotional impact uh, for us uh, that the early readers would have all been able to easily identify with. Uh, I mean, even, even up and through the time of Jesus when he lived, the vast majority of people in Israel uh, would have had experience keeping or tending sheep. So the imagery of this psalm for them would have been very personal, been vivid and powerful and, and meaningful to them, way more so than to us who really know little or nothing about sheep. And, and, and even if there was someone in here who had maybe worked on a sheep ranch, you know, the techniques and practices of caring for sheep have, have so vastly changed from those days back then that, that the imagery that David uses would still be pretty foreign to us and different. And so since that is true, uh, we need to have a bit of, a, of an introduction uh, of shepherding and, and sheep um, as we begin going through and dissecting this psalm. So when you think of, of uh, a ranch today, you know, whether it's cattle ranch or sheep ranch, this type of thing, what do you picture? So, you know, we tend to, we tend to picture a, a very specific plot of land, right, that the, that the owner uh, or the rancher owns, and, um, and, and then it's, it's fenced in uh, in order to keep the sheep, his sheep in, and other sheep or animals out, right? Uh, and there's usually a stock dam or, or uh, a watering trough, um, available so the sheep can can get a drink anytime they want and when the rancher wants to move the sheep maybe from one pasture to another he employs multiple hands uh, you know riding horses or ATVs uh, and, and then there may be several sheep dogs involved and put to use as well and they round up the sheep and, and then they drive them where they want them to go by by yelling at them and swatting or snapping them or nipping their heels the, the dogs, not the ranchers, nip their heels. And, and uh, uh, you know, they, they get them going where they want to go, and if the sheep start swerving to the wrong side, they'll go up beside them and push them back the other direction and, and get them where they want them to go. Their ears are tagged so they can identify the different ones. They are inoculated, you know, when they're little lambs to keep them healthy. And after that, they're sent out into the pasture. And basically, uh, by and large, they kind of live there on their own. I mean, obviously, there's some tending, but uh, they're ready until they're ready to shear or, or to sell at the, uh, at the stock barn. And that's a, a far cry from what David knew or experienced when he wrote this psalm. 
And we have no idea, there's no indication in here of how old David was when he wrote this psalm. He, he could have been very young. He could have still been at his father's house being a shepherd himself and he's sitting out there watching the sheep and he's thinking about these things and writing it that way. But, but most uh, scholars and commentators who study this type of thing believe that, that David actually wrote this uh, in his old age, uh, looking back on and reflecting uh, on what uh, God had done for him and, and his experience, his relationship with God uh, throughout his life. And um, this psalm uh, is a very personal expression of his relationship with God. But it, it was also meant to be a song that was sung by many others. And, and, and as others sang it, it was also supposed to be a personal declaration for them as well. Um, and, and so so this psalm, as you read it, uh, is, is that very personal psalm. Notice the way David begins it. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Right? He, he doesn't say our shepherd, even though that would be true, right? This isn't uh, uh, about the fact that God is sovereign ruler over all of creation in general, even though that would be true. And, and it is not speaking uh, of the fact that he is Lord and master uh, of his people specifically, even though that is also true. Instead, it is that, that very personal cry of his heart conveying that, that tender, individual, one-on-one -on -one relationship with, the, with, with God. The Lord is, is my shepherd. This is about a personal relationship with him. And that's, uh, with, with the modern-day picture of shepherding, that really doesn't resonate or connect with how we think of ranching, does it? Back in those days, a typical family shepherd only had a very small flock of sheep. And he knew every single sheep individually. He had a name for them. He knew their personality and their temperament. He knew their needs and their likes and their dis dislikes. And he, he knew their strengths and their weaknesses and their tendencies. Uh, and, and so when David says, my shepherd, he's talking about that kind of deep personal relationship, not just the casual, oh, I see on the tag on the ear, there's sheep number 327, right? It, it's it's very personal. And there's a confidence uh, and a certainty of that relationship in that statement, isn't there? He, he doesn't say, I think so, or I hope so, right? He says, the Lord is emphatic, confident, certain, and sure. The Lord is my shepherd. We have that same relationship with the shepherd that David had. And then David goes and, and, and identifies the shepherd for us. He says it's, it's the Lord who is that shepherd. And think about how incredible that is. The sovereign God of the universe, the Almighty, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords is your shepherd. 
You're not just, you know, some faceless, nameless number in, in some vast flock. He knows you by name. He's intimately acquainted with all your ways. You cannot stumble without the shepherd knowing it. You cannot wander away without his passionate pursuit of you. You, you will have no need that he does not know about, care about, or, or make provision for. That's why the verse says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It means your needs will be met. Now, we, we, we need to understand that this isn't a promise that you're always going to get everything you want, right? It's not a golden ticket to health, wealth, and prosperity. This does not mean even that, that uh, if you desire a nicer car or a bigger house or more toys in, in the garage, that God is obligated to somehow get those for you so that you'll have no sense of longing or want in your heart. That's not what it's talking about. And it doesn't mean that there won't be difficulties or even deprivation in your life. What it does mean is that the shepherd himself is going to be all that you need or want. And David goes, he'll provide for you, but he himself is, is what you need. And David goes on to elaborate on that thought in verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Back in those days, sheep weren't kept out in a in a pasture fenced in right private property fenced in rolling prairie okay you guys just eat whenever you feel like it uh, instead they were brought back home every day from uh, from the wilderness which belonged to everybody and and all of the shepherds would go out there finding sheep, uh, pasture for their for their sheep um they would have a sheep pen or a sheep fold that was typically built right into the house. And each day the, the shepherd would then lead his sheep out uh, to find new pastures. And he led them. He didn't drive them out. Uh, the shepherd would, would call out uh, usually a specific word or sometimes even just a sound. Uh, one of the books I read said that the, the common sounds that they would use were, were hoo and ha and variations of that. So one shepherd might be going, hoo, hoo, ha, and that his sheep knew that, and somebody else is going, uh, hoo, ha, hoo, or whatever. And the, but the sheep knew their shepherd's voice, and, and they would follow them because the sheep knew that this shepherd was meeting their needs, was going to be taking care of them, was going to lead them. They're hungry, and he was going to lead them to food for another day. And, and so uh, even in a, in a village where there might be many different shepherds going out with their sheep for that day and, and there's chaos and there's noise, by, by repeating his sound and so the sheep could hear his voice, they would stay near him and, and follow, follow him. And that way they knew that they were uh, being taken care of. And he would go out and search for green pastures. Now, one of the things you'll notice if you go to Israel, there are not a lot of green pastures the way we picture them in our mind, right? Um, we picture, uh, you know, springtime with miles and miles of waving grass on the prairies or maybe, uh, you know, a mountain meadow with uh, tall, dark, lush grass there surrounded by trees and this type of thing. In Israel, what you have is a lot of rocks, and, and, and the fields and the hillsides and stuff are rocks. And, and the green pastures that they're talking about are, are generally little clumps of grass 
growing up amongst these rocks and and the 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 uh, there's very little moisture there and so the humidity comes rolling in off of the Mediterranean Sea and hits those hillside and allows a little bit of grass to grow in amongst the rocks and that's what the shepherd's looking for and he knows uh, these things and the conditions and and so he seeks out and knows where the sheep can eat and be satisfied lying down in a green pasture signifies being filled and and content you know a, a sheep will lay down when her belly is full and she's just contentedly chewing on her cut and of course water is also very difficult to come by and find in an arid and desert region like that and, and it's not always near where the grass would be growing good and so the, the shepherd would have to lead them to the water typically he led the sheep twice a day at noontime and then be, uh, just before evening and bring him back him to get water and, and the shepherd would have to know where the springs or, or, or the the wells that were dug uh, where they're located um they couldn't be uh, like a flowing uh, brook or stream down a, a, a rocky mountainside because the noise of a flowing stream scares sheep. A and uh, sheep are not very brave. I don't know if that's one thing you should know about sheep. They're not, they're not particularly stalwart. And, and so if there's noisy water, they won't go near it. Um, no matter how thirsty they are, they, they need, they need slow-moving, quiet uh, water for them uh, to drink. And so he um, takes them to these inviting, peaceful, uh, quiet waters, and, and the sheep get all they need. And, that, and that's the point of, of this verse, is that the shepherd provides. He meets for the needs uh, of those sheep in every possible way. And, and verse 3 continues with that, but now, now it becomes obvious in verse 3 that David is really talking about himself and God, not about sheep in general, right? Because he says he restores my soul. He, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, God not only meets our physical needs, but he also takes care of our soul. And think about that statement. To restore a soul, first of all, means it has to have been wounded, in need. You don't restore something that's not in need, right? Perhaps it's a depleted, weary soul, worn out from the burdens of living in a hard and harsh world. Or maybe it's a broken and wounded soul one that's fallen victim to an accident or been attacked and is now suffering from the hurts and the pains uh, of this life. Has your soul been abused, injured, and otherwise distressed? You see, it's the shepherd who restores the soul. But also to protect our souls from those self-inflicted wounds, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. As we follow and, and stay close to the shepherd in, in those paths of righteousness, we will protect ourselves and others from the harm that comes from sin and, and unrighteousness. But if we stray and, and wander away, we put ourselves and, and others around us in, in danger. And perhaps David himself was, was looking back and reflecting on, on his own wounded soul. 
when he had strayed away and sinned against the Lord. But he's also looking back to that blessed truth that the soul can be restored. And God does this for, it says, his own name's sake. He he does it because it brings him pleasure and, and glory to restore a soul that's been damaged and broken. And because of these things, David can then move on and make the declaration that he does in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Many times I know that this psalm is, is read at funerals or, or other times of heartache and grief because of the comfort that especially this verse brings. But I don't think that the valley of the shadow of death refers only to those times of mourning from loss. See, the reality is, have you ever thought of what the valley of the shadow of death is? The reality is, we all live under the shadow of death every day. We walk through this world knowing that death waits for every single one of us. And every hardship, every trial, that simply brings that truth one step closer to us. This world is the valley of the shadow of death. But as we walk through this world with all its dangers and toils, as we face uncertain and, 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 and perilous situations, as people let us down, as circumstances threaten to overwhelm us, in all these things, we do not need to fear any evil. Why? Because of that beautiful and so important and all-powerful phrase right in the middle of this verse. For you are with me. That's why. That's why we do not fear. Who's with us? The shepherd, the the Lord God, whose job it is to protect and to provide for us, the one who has promised to guard us from attack, to save us from danger, and to keep us from wandering into ruin and destruction. Has there ever been any more comforting or reassuring words in all of the Bible than that little phrase, God is with you. You you, you are never alone in this world. You are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. No matter how dark the path is that you may be going down right now, no matter how lonely it may feel, the reality is and the truth is God is with you. And therefore, you can have perfect comfort and absolute security and peace. The the rod and and the the staff, uh, those are the implements the shepherd uses to fend off danger, to lead and to guide the sheep, to guard what's been entrusted to him. And in the shepherd's hands, they are used for our good and, and for our benefit, and therefore, they bring us comfort. And then you look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. We, we will 
have enemies in this world. I mean, pic- picture what's going on, though, here with this. The enemy is there in the presence. He's right at the door, but God is preparing uh, a table so that you can sit down and feast and eat as if everything was just fine and dandy, which, of course, is true because God is with you. Your, your head is anointed with oil, which, which means you are prepared and ready for the feast. Your cup overflows, uh, again, because God's provision is all that you need, even as you're surrounded by your enemies. The story is told of a, of a prisoner who, who was brought a, a meager meal uh, of stale bread and a glass of water. And as he took that from, uh, from the guard, uh, he, he, he broke off a piece of bread and, and he looked up to heaven with, with peace on his face and said to the guard, what, all this and Jesus Christ too? See, his cup was overflowing. And that's how verse 6 stands as true. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and loving kindness. It's not necessarily found in your circumstances. They're not true because everything is going your way, because your bank account is full and your health is robust and all your relationships are sweet and working. It's true because the Lord is your shepherd. Because he is always with you and because he himself is your goodness and loving kindness. But it's also true because ultimately, in the end, we know that our final destination is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. A, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, a house where every tear will be wiped away, every tear of disappointment, every tear of pain, every frightened tear, every tear of heartache, every tear of loneliness, every tear of regret and failure. They will all be wiped away as in joy and peace and comfort and security we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is all true because the Lord is my shepherd. And understand, the Lord is your shepherd in the green pastures. When, when life is good, when joy is abundant. But he's also your shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. When your heart aches, when the pit of your stomach is clenched up, when you feel so empty. The, the Lord is your shepherd when he leads you to quiet waters of peace, serenity, and, and, and satisfaction. But he's also your shepherd when you're surrounded by enemies, when they're in your very presence, when life is hard, 
when opposition is stiff. The Lord is your shepherd. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, this psalm is so rich. There's so much more we could say. But we trust that your spirit will work today to impact our hearts and our minds. God, we are so thankful that you are our shepherd. We praise you for Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, even as we celebrated today in communion. And because of that, these promises that you give us are sure and steadfast. And we can stand upon them. Thank you, God, for that relationship you give us and have with us. We pray that each person here would be blessed in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.